I wanted to read to you this morning something that I wrote in October of uh, 2013, um, and uh, it's, a, it's a short little uh, blog post that I'd put on, on a website, and um, I didn't print the title of what it was, but that's okay, I'll just start. Um, I think it was basically about uh, comparing some differences between small churches and large churches, actually. Uh, why does someone go to a small church? We're a small church, by the way, in case you don't know. Um, why does someone go to a small church? If there, is there an appeal to the small church? Uh, we will readily ask why people are leaving small churches and why the bigger churches seem to be growing. We rarely ask why people might want to go to the smaller church. Um, this is just part of a, a series of blog posts I plan to write on this topic to highlight some of the strengths of small churches. And this one is about diverse community. Know and be known. Some people want to know people and be known and haven't been able to find that in some larger churches. Now, here's a disclaimer. I would argue that the best large churches have all kinds of opportunities to meet people in smaller environments. And sometimes it can even be easier to know people and be known in a larger church because often it is more clear how to connect in those churches. There are clear announcements every Sunday about small groups. There's an information desk with a helpful smiling person there. There's a newcomer's information session, et cetera, et cetera. In the small church, there's maybe some coffee and a few snacks at the back, and there's the chance meeting with the friendly person or sometimes maybe the not-so-friendly person. That's how small churches work. A small church is not homogeneous. In the large church, if you meet someone who rubs you the wrong way, you may never see them again. You are way more likely to find people like you, the same age, the same ideas. In the small church, if you meet someone who rubs you the wrong way and you make this your home church, you are likely stuck with them. They are part of the body, and they're right there all the time. This, at first glance, seems negative. But this is really one of the strengths of the small church. The small church reflects the nature of Christ's body. It is not homogeneous. You have to work at unity with people you might not otherwise ever spend time with. It's much more like family in that you don't get to choose who your family is either. In a small church, you don't get to pick what Bible study you want to do out of some kind of catalog. You can't just look up the young married couples who just had their first child Bible study with nursery care provided and then go to that because it's for you and for the 30 or 40 other couples in the same circumstance in your church. The fact that you can't do this is a strength of the small church. The same young couple go to their small church on Sunday, they see a friendly face and that person is happy to hold their baby for them while they get themselves organized for the dance of walking in and out of the sanctuary, half listening to what's going on. In the small church, the young couple gets the chance to see that their whole, the whole church loves their child. The body of Christ is full of people not like you. A real appeal of the small church is that you can know and be known by people who are not like you. The teenager develops a relationship with the adult. The baby has a grandparent who is not related to her. The recent immigrant becomes friends with the fifth-generation Canadian. A real appeal of the small church is that these relationships are a beautiful illustration or incarnation of the body of Christ. 
and you get to see it and be part of it week in and week out. Yes, all of this can happen in larger churches too. But a large church must organize itself for any of this to happen. And most of them don't because, frankly, diversity tends not to work that well for numerical growth. It's better for numerical growth to put all the youth together, all the young adults together, the children together, and to have small groups for adults who are all in similar life situations. The small church simply can't do this. They have no choice but for different people of different ages, ideas, and backgrounds to be together. What a great opportunity to celebrate the unique parts of the diverse body of Christ. I'm not saying that small churches are better than big churches. I'm not saying that big churches are better than small ones. Each have their strengths. Each reflect different aspects of Christ's body. What saddens me is that leaders in many small churches seem unable or unwilling to claim their strength and make diverse community central to who they are. So if you are part of a small church, go to worship this Sunday and look around at the people around you because you are the church. Have a mini-celebration that God loves you all and that together you are the body of Christ. One of the striking features of our reading this morning from 1 Corinthians 12 is the middle section. It's actually most of the reading. And it talks about these members of the body that seem to be weaker and yet are indispensable to the body. And there's these members of the body that we think somehow are, are less honorable, and so what does the church do with that? Well, we, we then clothe them with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. And Paul, in writing 1 Corinthians states that it's God who has set up this arrangement. So it's not, it wasn't the church's idea to organize themselves this way. God has so arranged the body, Paul writes, giving the greater honor to the inferior members. And why has God done this? Paul says, so that there may be no dissension within the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. This is a fascinating and striking feature of this chapter because we're not used to operating this way. And it does help a little bit to try to hear this, how it may have been heard by the first readers. In their community, it would have been likely the only place in Corinth where you would have had slaves and free, rich and poor, together in the same place and having the same voice and the same opportunity. So all of this language that you then get in 1 Corinthians about each one has their own gift and they can bring their gift to the church and each one is honored, you've got to think, you've got a master and their slave sitting next to one another. And that means that the slave has as much right to bring their gift as the master has. I mean, that's pretty radical stuff. There was nowhere else in the world where that was happening. 
except the church. God has arranged it so that the greater honor goes to the slave. The greater honor goes to the poor person, not the rich. They're all in the same community and they all have the same voice. I went to a presbytery meeting on Thursday night. Um, really exciting, I know. Um, uh, and uh, presbytery is the, uh, if you don't know, it's, it's basically the regional governing body for Presbyterian churches for this area. So the presbytery of Winnipeg is city of Winnipeg all the way up to Thompson and all the way to Kenora. We went out to Penawa for our, our meeting out there. And... Um, I, I, I missed somebody when I, was, when I was there. There was someone who couldn't make the meeting, and I missed a, a guy named Brian, who has been coming to Presbytery meetings for almost a year. Brian is the representative elder from Place of Hope Presbyterian Church. He's a First Nations man, and I've had the privilege of driving him to uh, worship services at Place of Hope Church at Winnipeg Inner City Mission. So I've gone to his home and, and, and picked him up, and I've seen where he lives and the kinds of clothes he wears and know that uh, he's living pretty close to, if not below poverty line, he's, he's getting pretty close to that. Um, Brian is also hopeful that he is going to study more and go into ministry, which is great. Um, and he's working on that. And Brian speaks up at presbytery meetings. And, uh, you know, almost all of the time it's on topic. So that's great. Um, because actually, you know, lots of the times it's not uh, from any of the representatives that are there. And I really miss Brian because around that table, there's a diversity of voices, even at that level of church governance, which is really fantastic and wasn't always the case. Um, it, it wasn't that way at our presbytery meetings, and now it's interesting because the presbytery meetings themselves are even reflecting the body of Christ and the way God has ordered things and the way things are supposed to be. I missed him. I should probably tell him I missed him. It's the same in the church, right, in our congregations. When we don't see someone, even if we haven't really talked to them that much, we miss them when they're not there. And it's because we need each other. We need each other in the church. We need to be there for one another, to support one another, and to care for one another. And we don't always do the best job of that. It can happen here on Sundays, it has to happen more and more on the outside of Sundays as well. Think about when you have a major crisis that happens in your life, or maybe you haven't had one in a while. Imagine something pretty significant happening in your life that is difficult. You, you don't think about necessarily, how am I going to solve this problem? You might do some of that, but one of the first things I think we think about is, who, who can I talk to? It's usually a who question when we face a crisis. Who do I need around me? Who, who, can I, who can help me? 
And many of us might have communities of support or networks of friends or family who we would turn to in support. Who do you turn to when you're in a major crisis? Now, some of us might say the church, and those who do say the church, I think, have a correct understanding of what the church is. Lots of times we, say, we don't think, oh, I'll turn to the church because we've got an institutional understanding of the church. So the church is sort of an organization. The church is Christ and his people. So when you think, I'm going to turn to the church, or I'll hear others who say, well, the church wasn't really there for me when I was in my time of need and my time of crisis. And I ask them, well, who was there for you? And they list about four or five church members. And I think, well, I'm not sure what you wanted us to do because the church was there for you. That is the church. We need one another. And, and I think what we need when we face really difficult times like death or loss or major illness, we, we need people who have Christ at their center because that changes the dynamic because people of Christ at their center have this hope that Jesus can, can enter into the difficulty that's being faced and either transform it or heal it or redeem it in some way or turn something to good. There's this hope embedded in walking next to or having someone walk next to you who has Jesus Christ living within them. We need others who are other Christ followers next to us. And it's better to have a community of support than it is to have an individual of support for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of reasons. Least of all is that if, if you only have an individual of support and you do hit a crisis, then that person is gonna face burnout in a little while because they, it, they care enough that they're gonna get consumed by maybe your issue. But if you've got a community of support and they know one another, then some of that load can be shared and you can get some more help. Community of sport is always better than an individual of support. I think followers of Christ have an intuitive sense that Christian community done well is actually core uh, to who we are as believers. We have this intuitive sense. Um, we've been giving out these, uh, these surveys um, if you haven't filled out a survey yet or a questionnaire yet, please fill one out um, because it's, it's really helpful. And we've tallied uh, 38 of them so far, so most of you likely have, have filled one out. Um, but please get one. Um, I think we'll have them available at the back, and you can put them in the box at the back as well afterwards. We've tallied 38 of them. Uh, 27 people said they were interested in making or eating a meal together. 27 of 38. That's quite a bit. Now, maybe that's just because we all love food so much, but we probably eat every day anyway. This is about being together, right? It's about being together. We have this intuitive sense that being together, and yeah, let's eat when we're together, that that's important. And I'm not saying like the, the other 11 didn't think community was important. There was other things that they, that they said that, that connected to community. I wasn't that surprised by 27 of 38 people saying, yeah, that's, that was the number one answer, by the way, of uh, what you're interested in doing so far, um, was making or eating a meal together. 
Hopefully some of the people who are interested in making the meal will serve the people who are interested in eating it. That's, um, I was a little surprised by this number, though. 21 out of 38 people said that they were interested in being part of a small group that meets regularly throughout the year. And that was defined as one to four times per month. And that that small group was, uh, meets regularly, talks about faith and the Bible, and prays for and supports each other. That's actually a lot of people, 21 of 38. That's more than half of the people who filled out surveys said, yeah, I, I want to be part of this, a smaller community of support, basically, is what they're saying. Now, some, some of those people are already doing that, right? They're interested in it because that's something they already do. There's a group of people that have been meeting for Bible study throughout the summer um, every week. And we're going to look, we're, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, um, we're, we're going to be able to say, here are some other opportunities because there's more people. We can't have a single group of 21. It's no longer a small group. But you actually don't need to wait for the session or me or any of the leadership to get anything organized for you. You don't need to wait for that. And I know of people who are also engaging in community, Christian community, with other believers who are not part of our congregation. They're not waiting around for us to organize something. And many of us wait for some kind of program, like let's get, you know, I'll have this handed to me. And I, I kind of think we've been programmed about programs um, that we think, uh, well, I'll wait till someone offers something and then I'll look at it and I'll decide, well, do I like that idea or not? And is it convenient for my schedule? And we've forgotten that our values and our beliefs tell us that actually we want to be in, a small, in an environment with some other believers who meet regularly, talk about faith in the Bible, and pray for and support one another, and we somehow disconnect that from the announcement. But you don't have to wait around for it. Christian community isn't about whether I like the Bible study topic, or whether the night of the week fits with my schedule, or about whether I'm tired that night and I'm not really going to get that much out of it anyway because I didn't really get much out of it for the last three weeks that I went and nobody's really going to, like, I'm, I don't really say much, so it doesn't really matter if I'm there or not. That, that's not Christian community, is it, that, that thought? Because you are needed. You are indispensable to the community, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. And we'll have program. I'm not trying to advertise program to you. We'll have programs, and I'd love for you to come to them. That's great. But I'm not saying, okay, you've got to come to the program. You're welcome to. More important than showing up, actually, at something that's offered is your ability as a follower of Jesus to create Christian community. If anything, that's what we need to be doing more of individually is creating Christian community this is far more needed than going to a program, as great as that is. And we could do that here on Sunday mornings. Each of you can create Christian community on Sunday mornings or wherever you are. And I'm going to give you four ways that we can create Christian community. And the hard thing about these four ways 
is that they all involve getting out of our comfort zones. Most of us don't want to do any of these things, so we don't do them. So I'm going to remind you of these because we actually know them. The first one is reaching out in conversation. The reality is we'll talk to people that we know. What we forget is that at some point you didn't know that person and you talked to them anyway. So how did that happen? We forget about that. We forget that at some point we actually talked to somebody who we didn't know because now it's 10 years later and we know them. 10 years from now, you might know somebody who you talked to today for the first time. I'm not saying ignore the people that you know because sometimes you only see people once a week and it's nice to chat. But once in a while, we need to look at who's in this room who I don't know yet. We have to reach out in conversation. We forget that there are others who might need to be welcomed into a circle that we're in. We forget that we're here in this place and that we may need to seek out someone other than our regular group and that our regular group might benefit from that just as much as that person who we welcome in. So reaching out in conversation. It's actually not that hard because we actually do know how to talk to one another. I've seen you all talk to people after service. It's just usually you're talking to people you already know. Well, maybe just go talk to somebody you don't know and, and you already know how to talk to the person you know. So it's actually not that much different. Like, they're human beings. The second way um, is reaching out with help. And this can be tricky um, because you don't always know what help might be needed. Um, but there's all kinds of things, even on a Sunday morning, but also in your life where you can see, oh, there's, I, I could just help with that. Um, so someone looks like they're about to clean up the coffee time and you're still around at church. It's not that hard, really, to go over there and just see who's doing that and just say, do you need some help? Can I take that down? Uh, notice how you are in a conversation with that person when you do that, right? Reaching out with help. So to see there's a need, and I, I could just go and help. It's not going to be that, that difficult for me. The third way that you can create Christian community is reaching out for help. Where you recognize, I'm, I'm in need, and some of us will sit and, and stew in how I'm in need and nobody's helping me, but we actually haven't told anybody that we're in need because somehow they should know. And there are, there are others who will think, well, I don't want to bother anybody, or I don't want to bother the pastor. Everybody seems so busy, so I, and, and it's, not, I, I don't, it's not a big thing, like I can handle it. But the, the, the problem with that thinking is that if, if you just took the step and you said, yeah, I need some help with this. I'll go to the pastor or I'll go to somebody within the church who I maybe have had a conversation with and just say, this is, this is what I need some help with. Even if that person says, no, I can't help you, you're now in community with that person. You're, you're having a conversation. It's an easy way to be in community with someone. When I usually ask for people for help with something, like I... I don't know, I think my success rate for getting them to help me is about 
I could be discouraged with the 25% of people who say, well, no, I'm too busy, I can't help you. Or I could just celebrate that now I'm, you know, got 75% of the people I've talked to now, are now involved and we're talking to one another. So reaching out with help, where you're gonna help, reaching out for help. I need help, can, can you please help me with, with this? And the fourth way, and this is, I think, maybe one of the more challenging ones, reaching out with an invitation to a meal. Uh, I noticed in your surveys that everyone seems to like eating. And this can feel a little strange sometimes, but we have this great opportunity, and we ha this is a, an incredible opportunity, especially with people who are new to Winnipeg or to Canada. Um, and I'm guilty of not taking advantage of this, this opportunity to, to reach out with, you know, would you like to come over to our place for, for a meal? But try to imagine that you move to another place in the world and you know absolutely no one. And then you meet someone who seems nice and you've had, uh, you know, a couple of conversations with them at church where you met. And throughout the week, you've treasured those conversations because so much of the environment around you is unfamiliar and not everyone has been nice to you. And then the third or fourth time, that person invites you over to their house for a home-cooked meal. Oh, wow, that would be great. Like, wouldn't that be your reaction? Wouldn't that be your reaction? Oh, wow, a home-cooked meal. I haven't had one of those since, well, when was that? I've been eating by myself for the last three weeks. See, taking this step, it involves putting yourself in another person's shoes. So there are four ways. There's all kinds of other ways you can create Christian community. And this is what we've got to be about as a church. How can we create Christian community? Don't worry, I'm not going to be watching you after in coffee time. <laughs> but... but we've got to take some of those steps. And some of those steps are being taken all the time in our church. I don't mean to say we're not doing this. I know of people who are doing this wonderfully well. And, uh, and we've got to do it more and more. We've got to do it more and more. As we create that Christian community, and as we get to know one another, that, that verse at the, the end of our reading really starts to come alive. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it because we are in it together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Right? There, there doesn't end up being resentment between people. There doesn't end up being, oh well, suck it up, I, deal with, I dealt with that six months ago and I was fine. It's we walk alongside one another, we suffer together with those who are suffering, we rejoice together with those who are being honored and rejoicing. So we're gonna take a moment to pray together here and what I'm going to get you to do again, while well, we're talking about getting out of your comfort zones, um, I'd like you to put your hand on the shoulder or uh, arm of somebody who's close by to you. So make sure, make sure somebody is, uh, has got their hand on your shoulder. So just do that and close your eyes. And you're, you don't have to pray. I'm going to pray. Um, and uh, just, just put your hand on someone who's close to you or get close to people so that you can do that. Okay, let's, let's pray. Oh God, if one member of our body suffers, all suffer together with it. And so we pray today for that, that person who's suffering. 
We ask that you can reach out to them, touch them by your Holy Spirit. Transform whatever it is that's happening in their life. Give them healing and your compassion. Send your spirit upon them and bind us together as your church. Remind that person that they are not alone, that you are with them and that we are with them. Remind us each to be there for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.